Uh, well, we are in part two of Ordered Marriage in the midst of a series on the overcoming home. The overcoming home. God has called us to be overcomers. overcomers. He's, not, he's not called us to be the tail. He says that we are the head, not the tail. We are above, not below. And that goes for our homes. Talks about how the home is the primary place of discipleship uh, for the Lord. It's not the church, it's not an institution, it's not a program, it's the home. It's the structure that he's, in the institution really, that he is inst- he's put in place to help shape hearts and minds, both young and old. And so the value and the importance of home is so crucial, it is so critical, it's so important. And so we need to make sure that we engage in, in following the Lord and walking in a way of obedience to the things that he's called us to in the home. And so we talked about how the home is a greenhouse of sorts. Uh, it's a, control, a controlled environment in which fruit can be produced and, and life can grow. And, but, a, you know, a greenhouse with all the windows knocked out is kind of useless, Right. It doesn't work. And so we have to make sure that the right things are in place in our home so that the environment can thrive, so it can be a place of growth. Here's what I want to do, because every Sunday I kind of give, give a recap of where we're at, and I just want to get to the message today. I want to get into the material. So if you've, if you've missed some of these sermons, they're online. You can go to the church website, newcommunityfs.com, and you can listen to those messages. If you've, if you've missed any in this series, I encourage you to do so. But I just want to jump in this morning um, I'm going to tell you, coming, coming down from the mountain, we've been at camp for two weeks, and, and to see God moving in such a, a powerful way in the lives of young people, um, just a few nights ago, we had a testimony time around the campfire, we had 500 junior high, junior high and high school students at camp. These kids were coming up and sharing about what God was doing in their lives. And for a lot of them, it's just, it's cool, it's cute, kind of. It's, oh, God was doing this and now this. Right at the end, a young lady got up and started talking about her testimony. At first, it was, have you ever been like listening to someone speak or in a, in a place where they're not a public speaker, they're not used to being up front, and you realize this is going to take a while, but we're not really going to go anywhere for a while. And, and, and you feel a little awkward and maybe a little embarrassed for them. And you're like, oh, okay. And, and I know as, as someone who's run camps and been in a place, you're like, do I step in and help them or what do you do? And I'm so thankful the pastor that was, um, was leading the time just kind of let her go for a little while. Because this young lady starts sharing about how her parents had abandoned her. And she'd been sent to live with uh, an aunt who thankfully had led her to the Lord, but then one day decided she was tired of having her in her home. So she dropped her off at someone else's house without telling her she wasn't coming back. And then two days later, just dropped her luggage off, not in the home, but in the back of the pickup truck at that house and then just left. My heart just broke, realizing that, that our homes, so many homes are so broken, so many lives are so shattered um, well, Lord, we need more of your presence. We need more of your power in our lives. We need more of your healing touch. I'm so thankful because this young lady at the end of it, basically it, it came down to before camp, my life, I didn't know what was going on, who loved me and who cared for me. But I'm here at camp and I know that God is my father and he loves me. I was like, Yes. But still, there's that tinge of, oh, Lord, broken. 
There's real brokenness that exists. I have to con- make a confession this morning. I'm selfish. I'm so selfish. I, uh, I always want what I want. And I got married almost 19 years ago, and I came into marriage thinking, oh, this is going to be so good for me. And for so many years, that's my approach to marriage was, how will this benefit me? Here's the thing, though, I'm not the only one in the room. <laughs> you are too. We're born into it. We're born into a world, we're born into a sin nature that says it's about you. And the enemy is constantly at our ears saying, well, what about you? How does this benefit you? How does this make you better? It's even the Garden of Eden where God has given them everything they could possibly want, every desire of their hearts, the biggest thing being the presence, the very presence of God himself. And yet here's the enemy in her ear saying, did God really say He's withholding something from you. And that selfish, sinful nature rears its head and causes her to take a bite of that apple. And then Adam shares it and that partakes. Selfishness is just a part of who we are. And the problem when we come to the the discussion about marriage is we bring that into our marriage. We bring selfishness into our marriage. Here's what's going to happen today. I'm going to step on your toes. I'm going to poke sensitive places. I just am. The Lord, as I was preparing for this message, the Lord showed me a picture of myself. And and it wasn't a fun fun picture because I looked like a cockroach. And you ever been in a walk in a room and you turn the lights on and you, you see the scurrying cockroaches running for the shadows? Right? Anyone been there? All right, we're at camp. There's bugs and stuff at camp, and all these city kids are like freaking out. No, it's just a bug. Actually, our camp director is kind of freaking out about the bugs too. And I'm like, come on, dude. It's just a bug. And uh, anyway, there's a funny story, but I won't go there right now. Um, I saw this picture of myself as a cockroach. See, because what happens is when we shine the light of God's word in our lives, those places that we don't want the light to shine, we become like a cockroach and we run for the shadows. At least I do. I'm going to step on some toes, not because I want to offend you or, or, or do it intentionally, but I just want to come from a place of God's word, the light of God's word, allow that to illuminate some places in our lives. And here's what's going to happen. It's going to challenge your assumptions. Things that you've just settled into and ways of thinking about marriage, it's going to challenge those assumptions. It's going to expose your fears, not, not in public, but inside there's going to be a battle. Something is, is, there's going to be some wrenching that takes place. It's going to uncover hurt. Man, we work so hard to cover up our hurt, don't we? I just pretend it's not there. And God never says, hey, just ignore it. He says, I want to heal it. He wants to take wounds and make them scars. I love that Jesus, after his death and resurrection, that he still bore the scars of the cross. Because he can point and say, this was a wound. This is where I bled for you. But now it's a scar. And healing has come. It's a reminder that God wants to take the wounds of our lives and make them scars and make them a part of our testimony so we can point back and say, look what God has done. But here's the thing. We need to orient ourselves to the power of God in our lives. We were just singing about that. Nothing. 
Nothing can separate us. That God's power and his love and his Holy Spirit wants to move in our lives in such a way that it radically, radically changes everything. Right? No depth, no height, nothing can separate us from the love of God. He wants to be that cornerstone, our all in all. That's what he wants to do. But we have to orient ourselves towards that power. See, because you might be in a place this morning and you're like, great, a message on marriage. You don't know my circumstance, Pastor Barry. You don't know my history. You don't know where I'm coming from. During our prayer time this morning, the Lord stirred my heart. There's a passage in the New Testament. I, I don't know the reference right off my, my head, but, um, but basically it says this, that the promises of God are yes and amen in Jesus Christ, which means that the fullness of what God has for you is available to you without any caveats, without any exceptions. Yes and amen, but here's what happens. We come to the Lord, we come to church, we come to his word, and we go, yes, Lord, I recognize this about you, but my situation is too difficult. Yes, Lord, I know that you are Lord of all, but in my situation, it's beyond hope. Yes, Lord, I know that you can bring healing, but my pain is too deep. Yes, Lord, I know that you can receive marriage, but you don't know my husband. You don't know my wife. God says, no buts. No buts. Yes and amen. There is nothing, no situation, no circumstance, no hurt, no pain, no fear, no history, no background, no generational curse or sin that God cannot with his awesome, mighty power completely transform. Nothing, 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 nothing. And especially when we come to marriage, so many couples that I've sat with at a place of desperation saying, we're done. I can't live with him. I can't live with her. This isn't going to work out. Got a call when we're pastoring in Alaska, 10 o'clock at night. Pastor Barry, we need you to come now. And I avoid calls. I don't want to be that pastor who's like all hours of the day and night. My family, family needs me. Right? I don't want to be out caring for other people's marriages and so that, to the point that my marriage suffers. But, but this was one of those calls where it was basically either you come or the cops come. I'll be right there. <laughs> and I walked in, and, and this couple who loved the Lord, but man, they beat the living tar out of each other, literally. Both very active, physical, outdoorsy people. She was upstairs, he was downstairs, and both of them bruised and bloodied and black eyes and the whole deal. And I'm like, oh, Lord God, they didn't teach me about this in Bible college. <laughs> We proceeded, Megan and I met with him over a series of months, and, and this couple loved God, knew that he could work in their lives individually, but had never invited the power of God to work on them together, and they were at odds with each other, just fighting each other, emotionally, spiritually, physically, on every front, they just resented each other. We just kept saying, you know what, God wants to turn this around. He wants to work in your lives. He wants you to, we, to be on the same page, moving in the same direction. If you would take this and turn it into, we're moving together, what God can do. It was an impossible situation. They were done. So done. And we got to witness as God just slowly but surely turned their hearts towards each other. And to see a couple already married, 
fall in love. And now they're, they're thriving, have four kids, and, 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 and their testimony is so powerful. There's nothing that God can't do to bring whole, wholeness and healing. It doesn't matter how young or, or how old. Maybe it's not you. Maybe someone you know. Maybe it's a relative or a parent. You're saying, oh, that marriage is just done. God says, no, I can move. And so we have to guard our hearts against checking out in certain subjects. We do that. We hear, oh, that's the title of the message. Well, I'm just going to check out for the next hour or 45 minutes or whatever, however long the pastor preaches. Um, I'm just going to check out, and then I'll re-engage when something more suitable comes along. You're being a cockroach. You're being a cockroach. Isn't that a great picture? Don't be, we should make t-shirts. Don't be a cockroach. Let the light of God expose you. Because it's when you're exposed that God can start tweaking. That's why I love camp. Because our youth go up there and they just get filleted. They don't have phones. They don't have social media. They have to have conversations and be physically active. And they're experiencing things they've never experienced before. And then they go into service in the presence of God. And God just nails them. First night last night, our kids were at the front of the stage. Our youth were up there just worshiping God full out. That was the first night. We still got three, four nights to go. God's doing amazing things. Never limit. See, the problem is because when we do, we're saying, God, I know better than you. And that's pride. I don't know better than you. I just need your help. Can, can we just agree this morning that we need the power of God to invade our reality? And whether it's your, your marriage as it is right now, maybe you're, you're recovering from the wounds of a broken marriage. Maybe, maybe it's you're preparing to get married and there's fears you have because of your exposure to marriage in the past, the marriages you've seen, and you're like, I'll never be like that. And God says, I want to I kind of hit a reset button in your heart. What marriage is and what I've created it to be. I don't have a bunch of check boxes for you this morning. You can say, okay, if you want to have a better marriage, do these ten things. In fact, there's three words I'm going to share. And I'll have us... Repeat those after because that's what we do at camp, and I'm in camp mode, so we're going to do some repeating today. We have to orient ourselves to the power of God. So, Father God, I pray this morning, probably one of the greatest areas of need that we have in our culture, in our society, marriages that are being attacked and falling apart all around us. Lord, it doesn't matter if it's in the world or in the church, marriage suffering. So Father, this morning, would you speak? Holy Spirit, would you come and do a restoring work as only you can do? Lord, we commit to not be cockroaches this morning. We're going to stay put and let you speak through your word to our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Ephesians chapter 5, if you open your Bibles, if you're already there. Ephesians 5.21 We read this last week, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. It begins with Jesus Christ. Talked last week about the cornerstone. I'm I'm pointing right here because there's a corner on the carpet. If you can't see in the back, you're like, why do you keep going there? There's a corner. Jesus is the cornerstone, and he has to be the cornerstone of 
the marriage, of the home. He has to be the cornerstone. We sang about that this morning, that he's our cornerstone. He's our foundation. He's not just a, a solid point. He's also a reference point. The cornerstone was used to make sure that the walls were straight, that they were going up uh, plumb, you know, that they weren't leaning one way or another. And the, and the stonemasons would line up on that cornerstone and go, okay, we're checking out that big stone and making sure it's exactly where it needs to be and that these, lo- these walls are grow- go- being built, growing. Walls are growing. The walls are going the way that they need to be, to be going and being built in the way they need to be built. The point of orientation. Jesus is our cornerstone. He's both our foundation and he's our point of reference when we get lost. When I start being selfish and when I start wanting what I want, that I stop and go, wait, wait, wait. What does Jesus say about this? And what is he expecting of me as a husband? And I orient myself to Jesus and realize, man, my heart is way out here when it should be in here. And so I have to do the work of correcting that For the mason who who gets done with the wall and then sights down and realizes, oh, it's doing this. You know what he does? He takes it apart. He knocks those bricks out and he says, we're done. The last church we were part of, we were helping to build a school in in Nairobi, Kenya. And I was with Pastor Haroon in Nairobi just over a year ago. And we were evaluating the progress on this building. And he had hired a builder that he thought was reputable but turned out was not. And, and you could see when you're looking at the wall, they started out with good material. The bricks, that the, 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 the rocks that they were using out of this quarry were good. But the further you got up the wall, the cheaper the quality of the rock. We brought another builder in to evaluate and say, okay, what's going on? What do we need to do? And he walked up and he started sticking his finger into the stones. Now this is the ground floor. There's supposed to be four more floors on top of it. And the first thing he said is, all of this has to come out. Every bit of it. Because if you build on this, it's going to fall down. In our lives, if we're not orienting to Jesus in that cornerstone saying, am I in a solid place? Am I lining up the way I'm supposed to line up? If we keep building on that, eventually it's going to come crashing down. Jesus has to be the cornerstone. We submit to one another out of reverence for him first. See, my marriage isn't about me, and it's not even about my wife. It's about Jesus Christ. It's about Him being glorified in my home and in my marriage and in my life. But when my marriage starts being about me or about us and our needs and our wants and my needs and my wants, and we move Jesus out of the picture, we're done. There is no way for us to thrive and succeed. So we have to start there out of reverence for Christ. He becomes that reference point. We orient ourselves to who He is. All right, here's our three words. Honor, love, and respect. Say honor. Oh, wow, that was weak. All right, I've got I'll to get you in camp mode here. I'm sorry, this, is, this thing is kind of pinching my ear today. All right, here we go. Honor. honor. Love. Honor. Respect. Honor, love, and respect. Three words. I'm going to unpack each one a little bit. These are our three big ideas for today. And I believe these are the foundation stones that God says, I've set Jesus in place, and these are now the things that you start building with, the, the quarry stones that, that make the, the, the bottom course, that bo- bottom row of bricks that everything else gets built on. Honor, love, 
and respect. In, in music, there's, there's a term called harmony. We, we hear about like a three-part three or a four-part harmony. Anyone like, like, like to sing in harmony? Anyone who got that ability? All right, you, you, you know how to understand music so that you can sing a harmony. Uh, harmony is this. It's a use of simultaneous notes, pitches, and chords being used at the same time that complement each other. They're not the same, but together they sound amazing. They sound absolutely amazing. In music theory, it's called the vertical aspect of music. This is just Wikipedia speaking. All right, I don't, I, it's, I'm not an expert in this, so if I say something off... It, but, but they call this the vertical aspect of music. Melody is the horizontal aspect of music. Melody is, hey, we're moving in this direct, direction mu- musically. We have to get from this place when you read across a sheet of music. It's we're going from here to here. It's the, 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 the beats per minute when I look at the worship team and they get their, their notes ready and it's got all of these terms and it's BPMs and this and that and keys. And, right? It's the horizontal aspect of music. What do we need the components to move the music along? But harmony is then something you add in that complements each other. It brings life. It's like three dimensions. It starts, ah, it's just beautiful, right? You, you guys, you know what I'm talking about, right? We all, we all understand it, even if we wouldn't be able to, to explain it when we heard it. Dissonance is the lack of harmony. It's when you try and take two keys or two chords or two notes, two pitches, and try and put them together, and it doesn't work. It just doesn't work. And we know when we hear that. You don't have to be musical. You know when you hear dissonance because it bothers you. It's just, you're like, oh, turn that off. That's just terrible. In marriage, God is designed for us to have harmony. And there are aspects of marriage that are melody. God says, I've, I've designed the home to function a certain way, and you're moving from here to here. But harmony between a husband and wife is where our differences now complement each other. It's the three-dimensional, the vertical part of marriage where God says, I brought two people who are so different and so opposite, not just that one's a male and one's a female, but personalities, likes, dislikes, attitudes, morning person, night person. Anyone a morning person? Anyone married to someone who's opposite to what you are, morning, night, right? Yeah, when I first, when I first got married to Megan, I'm a night person. I'm total night owl. And I would just be so frustrated because Megan is not a night person. She's a morning person. You ever see the Sealy apostrophe commercials? You know what I'm saying? The mattress commercials? They're like someone pops up and they're like, good morning. I'm like, I don't get that at all. I'm like, just give me a worse coffee. Well, Megan, I don't get it. She wakes up and she is as chipper at, at, you know, 5.30 a.m. as any other time of the day. And I'm like, oh, come on. I had to understand that. I don't get this. This is different. We're married to people who are opposite to us. If you're not married yet, you'll find out your spouse will not be exactly like you. There's very few people that I've ever come across who, who personality-wise likes, dislikes, are exactly the same. Because God loves harmony. He loves taking two things, two people that are so different and making them work together to make beautiful music for him, to bring glory to him. The problem is, is that dissonance finds its way in. As the enemy starts, just like he did in the Garden of Eden, 
starts sowing lies, and he starts speaking to that selfish nature in us that says, hey, you're the most important person in this relationship. Hey, you, your needs aren't being met. Hey, she's, just, she's not treating you the way you need to be treated. He's not loving you the way you need to be loved. And all of a sudden, this funky chord, this funky note starts coming into our home, and it doesn't sound good. I believe the heart of God is that he wants to restore harmony to our marriages. He wants to make beautiful music with our marriages, not just for the benefit of our home and our marriage, but that's definitely a primary thing. But in the world, it is a display of his love and his design. Healthy marriages are attractive to people. That's why when you're at the beach on the boardwalk and you see a couple who's like 90 years old walking down the boardwalk holding hands, everyone just goes, oh, right? There's something so beautiful about it, not just because it's two people committed to each other, because the touch of God is on that. He's brought harmony. Honor. Honor is this. It's high respect or esteem. High respect or esteem. That when you honor something, you put it in a place of of priority in your life. You display it. You you tell people about it. You're like, "This, this is the most amazing thing. When we sing to the Lord, Lord, I honor you. I honor your name. We're saying to God, we're putting you in a place of prominence, in a place of esteem. I respect you, not just a bit, but like the highest level of respect. And God says to us that we need to honor each other, especially in marriage. And so these three words, honor, love, and respect, I want to deal honor with honor first. Honor is both of us in a marriage relationship. There has to be this honor. The antonym, the opposite of honor is not dishonor. It's contempt. It's contempt when I have contempt for someone. And it's amazing to me how quickly contempt sneaks into our marriages. How quickly you can go from the altar to despising the person that you're married to. Hear it over and over again. And it finds its root in this. We're selfish. I get married for me, not for you. I get married to satisfy my needs. I'm looking for these things in a spouse, which is not necessarily a bad thing. But if that is the, the, the end all for me, I'm, gonna be, I'm probably going to be looking in all the wrong places and for all the wrong things. Instead of saying, God, I believe that you have someone for me, that you've created them and designed them and shaped them to be in perfect harmony with, harmony with me, would you get my preconceived ideas out of the way and allow me to engage with what you have for my life? See, because we're selfish. Jesus says this in Matthew twenty twenty five through 28. Jesus called them together and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus sets the example for us. He honored us by going to the cross for us. 
He honored us by serving us. He honored us by setting an example for us, saying, it's not about you. If the Son of God, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, postured in himself in such a way that says, I'm going to be about being a blessing to you and honoring you and putting you first, how much more should we in our lives with the people that are closest to us say, I want to esteem you. I love that word. I want to esteem my wife. I want to hold her in high regard, not just to her face. Not just to her face. We had to ask people's friends, what do they say about their spouse when they're not around? You learn a lot. We got to work with children in our first few years of marriage. There are no secrets in children's ministries. Just telling you right now, because kids, kids see things and they don't, there's no filter. And you start learning things about people's marriages through their kids and you're like, whoa. And come in on a Sunday morning and they got the shellacked smile on. Hi, pastor. And you're in with their kids and they're like, this is what daddy said to mommy. And you're like, whoa, okay, don't, let's not repeat that. Um, because marriage is under attack, and that's not to, to, to attack or, or, or tear people down. It's to say, listen, this is real. And we can't pretend like everything's okay, yet behind the scenes, we're tearing each other down and not honoring each other the way that God would say. And so we need to start in a ver- the very beginning place of saying, I'm going to choose to honor my spouse. If you're not yet married or you're wanting to be married, you can honor your spouse before you meet your spouse. Our camp speaker up at camp this week uh, got married in his 40s. At 14 years old, the Lord spoke to him and he said, you will not get married young. I'm like, 14-year-old kid hearing that word from the Lord, you're like, wow, great, Lord. And he got to 29 the day before his 30th birthday and he's like, okay, Lord, I'm about to turn 30. God's like, not yet. Okay, Lord, I'm 39, about to turn 40. And God's like, not yet. But then he met his, who, who would, the, the, the gal that would become his wife. And he talked and he shared with our kids about how he honored his wife. Before he met her, he prayed this way. He said, Lord, somewhere out there, she's breathing air. And you created her to breathe that air. And you created her for me, and I'm saving myself for her. I'm going to honor her with my, my body, with my words, the way I live my life. And I just tell you how powerful that is to walk down the aisle to receive your bride, knowing that you've honored her that way. God's called us to honor each other, to put, out, put each other ahead of ourselves, to treat each other with respect and high regard. Our world, our culture preaches the opposite message. That your spouse is the biggest target. It's that your spouse becomes the butt of your jokes, the subject of the water cooler conversation at, at work. And instead of honoring each other, we tear each other down. And God says, stop. Hold each other in high regard. Esteem each other. See what God can do in that kind of environment. Okay, Ephesians chapter 5, 22 through 33. Wives, submit to your husband as, us, as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body 
of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by washing her. Uh, by the washing with water through the word, to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any blemish, but holy and blameless. You see the honor? You see the honor in that? In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves himself loves his, uh, loves his wife, loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but he feeds and cares for it just as Christ does the church or who we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united with his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a profound mystery to which we all say amen. But I am talking about Christ in the church. However, each of you must also love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Megan and I, a few years ago, were given a book to read a marriage book called Love and Respect. A um, gentleman named Emerson Egrich and his wife Sarah wrote this book, and it rocked our world. I, I won't recommend a lot of books from the pulpit because I believe most people just need to spend more time in God's Word. Um, but this is one that I would suggest. Love and Respect. And he talks about this passage here in, in, chapter, in verse 33, of Rome, I mean, of Ephesians chapter 5. Husbands, love your wives. Wives, respect your husbands. Love and respect. And I want to speak about these two together. We're not the same. Men are not the same as women, and it doesn't matter what our culture is preaching. Men are not the same as women, and women are not the same as men. At, at camp last week, we were in the back, and the worship leader, had we were singing a chorus, and he said, okay, now just the guys. And the guys sang their part. And they're, and they're junior hires in high school. The guys sang their parts. Okay, and the ladies did their part, right? That was my lady voice. And you're standing in the back, and I leaned over to our camp director, and I'm like, guys and girls are not the same. Even our vocal cords are just not the same. We're wired differently, which means we have completely different needs and different likes. And there might be places of overlap. Hear me. I'm not, it's not a blanket statement. Don't be like, leave here and go, Pastor Barry. No. There's places of over- overlap. That's fine. But at just a core level, we're not the same. Our needs are not the same. And Paul unpacks this here. And, and through our cultural perspective, this is where the light shines. God's, God says through his word, husbands love your wives and wives respect your husbands. And we become cockroaches and run for the shadows. Because you go, that's, that's kind of that's sensitive right there. And that's not a popular way of thinking. But if it's in the word of God, it must be important and have some truth to it. Actually, it has all the truth to it. Husbands, love your wives. I want to start there. Love. Do we want to be loved the way we want to be loved? And I'm going to usually love you the way I want to be loved. The problem is, is that you want to be loved a different way. We come into marriage with this. We experience this on honeymoon. You realize, whoa, wait a second. Because up to, up to the, the wedding day, 
like, man, honey, it's all about you. But, but in my heart, I'm going, I keep, by the way, this is my wife right here. If you're wondering why, I'm not pointing at Jacques, okay? <laughs> this is my wife, Megan. If you know met Megan, I think everyone is. But up to the wedding day, it's like, oh, everything's about you. But in my heart, I'm like, it's really about me. I can't wait for you to make me feel better about me and meet these needs and these expectations that I've, I've had all these years about how awesome marriage will be for me because I'm selfish. And more likely than not, I won't speak for Megan because she's way more holy than, than I am. And we come together in marriage, and it's tough because we start realizing, listen, I want to love you the way I want to be loved, and you, want, you love me the way I, you want to be loved, and it just gets muddy and convoluted and complicated. God here says, husbands, love your wives. He's talking about agape love. It's a selfless, giving, caring love that gives everything. It's a love that creates a thriving environment. He says, love your wives as I have loved the church. How did Jesus love the church? He died on a cross. He subjected himself to being beaten. He has those scars because he bled and died. And so husbands, when he says, love your wives, he's not saying, hey, buy her flowers once every couple of weeks. What he's saying to husbands is, give your lives for your wife. Everything you are, to care for her, to protect her, to nurture, to surround her, to honor her. Do everything you can to create an environment in your home where your wife can thrive. And this is not about woman, woman having to, to just come under the subjugation of men or under that. It's not that. I've never in all my years of ministry had a wife come to me and say, you know, I wish my husband just cared for me less. I wish my husband protected me less than he does. He's so protective. I wish my, my husband provided for our family less. I wish my, my husband didn't encourage me so much. Never. And I don't think in all the years that I'll be in ministry and be able to pastor churches that I will ever hear that. In fact, the opposite. Wives that are just dying on the inside because they want their husbands to love them and care for them and protect them. And husbands who've checked out and like, you know what? We're independent. I hear couples say this. Well, we're both really independent and strong. We just kind of, you know, we could live without each other. And I'm like, no, you can't. Because God has made you one flesh, and that's a lie from the enemy. So husbands, love your wives. Care for her in such a way that she will thrive. In a way that she knows that you love her, that you would give everything, your very life for her. Come on, isn't that, doesn't that sound like a great deal, a great environment to be in? Jesus says, just in the same way that I do that for the church, husbands. And so there's this weight that's put on the shoulder of the husband because God says you're the head of the home. And there's an authority that structure that exists for a reason. He says not to lord it over, like in the verse in Matthew, not to lord it over, but to serve, to come alongside and say, I want to love you the way that you need to be loved. I want to care for you the way that you need to be cared for. There's a story that's told about a, a culture where a woman would, would, there was a dowry that was paid, and it was paid with cattle or cows. And, and the story is about the ten-cow wife. 
And so a, a man in this village, his wife has passed away and he has this daughter and she's not the prettiest girl in town. In fact, far from it. Just kind of plain. Doesn't have a lot to offer. And his hope is, well, maybe one day she'll get married. But, but I don't even think someone would even give a cow, one cow for her. Or a man comes into the village one day. He comes to the man, the man of royalty, and he comes to this, this farmer and he says, I'd like to marry your daughter. And the man, the farmer, is overwhelmed and he says, okay. He says, and I'd like to give you ten cows for her. And the farmer goes, no, no, no. Have you seen her? One, one cow will be plenty. And the man says, no, I'll give you ten cows. And he takes her and they leave and he, she becomes his wife. Years later, this woman comes to town she walks into town, her head held high. Everyone's marveling. Oh, look how beautiful she is. Oh, she must be royalty. There's something about her. It's the same girl. Because of the price that was paid for her, the way that she was honored and loved, an environment was created for her to grow into all that she could be. It's a great story. I don't know if it's true or not. I love the story. We get the picture. It's a truth of God's word that resonates for us. God says, you know what? You're a sinning mess of a person. But I'm going to give my son to die on the cross for you. And then he says to husbands, now love your, your wives the same way. Husbands, men, if you don't feel the weight of that responsibility, we need to have coffee sometime and ch- chat about it. It's no light thing, it's no small thing that God says to men, love your wives. But then he says to wives, respect your husbands. Why respect? Because the Beatles say all you need is love, right? All you need is love, and Jesus says no, love and respect, because he's, because he's creating a harmony. Because he's creating a harmony and the response to a, a husband who is loving as Christ should love, Christ says to love, is to respect that role. We come into marriage and I'm like, hey, I, I love you if you do this. It becomes a transactional relationship. I love you if you, if then, right, cause and effect. If you love me, then I will do this. And, and, and Egrich in his book talks about the cycle that begins and it's a downward spiral where wives are saying, if you love me, I'll respect you. And husbands are saying, if you respect me, I love you. Did they just say that wrong? No, I got it right. Okay. Wives are saying, if you love me, I'll respect you. And husbands are saying, if you respect me, I'll love you. And we start competing. We start manipulating each other in the midst of marriage saying, I'm not getting what I want, so I'm not going to give you what you want. Does that sound like a winning situation to anyone? Not at all. Yet it happens day after day after day. He calls it in his book, he calls it the crazy cycle. And things just get crazy in our marriages. God says, if you will stop for a second and you will honor each other and esteem each other, husbands, if you will love your wives and create an environment in your home where your wife can thrive, this is not a permissive thing. It's not husband saying, okay, little woman, let me just... It's not that. It's a husband saying, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to love you selfishly, 
selflessly, not selfishly, selflessly. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to esteem you. I'm going to hold you in the highest regard. For a wife to say to her husband, I respect who you are. I respect the man of God you are. Thank you for working so hard. Thank you for taking care of our home. I, ladies, can I just tell you, that, that is the biggest wind in sails, the sails of a man. Ah, oh, thank you. Thank you for doing that. In his book, he talks about couples, Egrich does, about couples that would come to him who are literally on the verge of divorce. And he challenges them for five weeks, go home and love and respect each other. Choose to love even if you don't feel it. And he says almost every time they come back five weeks later, and they're more in love with each other than they've ever been before. Why? Because God's word will not return void. It's not, it's not that Emerson Egrich had some... It's the word of God. The Apostle Paul says, Husbands, love your wives. Wives, respect your husbands. Because in the midst of that, the harmony is created. Beautiful music emerges. An environment that greenhouses establish, and God says, I can grow beautiful things in this. But we have to get to a place where we say, I will, it's not about me. Not about me. Husbands to say, am I honoring and loving my wife in accordance with what Jesus says? Wives being able to stand before the Lord saying, am I respecting my husband? The way that, the, the, the respect that I would show to Jesus Christ and his care for the church, am I respecting my husband in that same way? And if we can stop the cycle of tearing each other down and start building into each other. It's not a quick fix. It's not an overnight. It's not pop a pill. You'll be good to go. But if we're willing to invest in the work, to embrace the light and say, Lord, teach me this, I guarantee you that God can turn those circumstances around. Let's stand together this, this morning. I don't know where you're at, what your regard for marriage is, how you feel about marriage, where you're, what, what's happening in your life, what kind of marriage you grew up in, in, in witnessing in your parents or around you, but, but I do know this, marriage is under attack and we have to take a stand. Whether you're married or not, praying for marriage honoring, holding a high regard and esteem. Father God, I thank you that you honored us with Jesus Christ. Jesus, your your word says that while we were yet sinners, you died for us. It blows my mind. Then, Lord, you call us to to love each other that way, to serve each other that same way. This morning, I ask that you would bring healing to marriages. Holy Spirit, that you would undo the hurt, undo the pain, undo uh, the words that have been spoken, the curses that have been uttered. 
Lord, not that they're, they're, they're just forgotten and gone, but Lord, that the wounds would become scars. And there would be a testimony of your faithfulness and what you've accomplished, what only you can accomplish in bringing wholeness and healing and restoration to marriages. Father, I pray that we would be a church where, where we're known by the fact that men love their wives. That we would be a church where we're known by the fact that women respect their husbands. And Lord, that there would be an environment in our homes that's created where discipleship would take place, where men and women would grow in the Lord together, where children would thrive, where the enemy would be held at bay when his lies would have no place, no root, no place to find root. I pray, Lord, that by your word you expose layers upon layers that need to be exposed and that you would bring the healing that needs to be there. In Jesus' name.